Radio Mano Papachango. about living around Los Angeles is uh, that there are just so many fascinating people around here, really great people. And I'm not talking about movie stars necessarily, although, yeah, there are probably some movie stars who are very cool. Um, But it's just that there are so many people here who are doing so many creative things. And uh, it just seems like every day I meet somebody who's you know, just a stellar kind of character. Anyway, one of the most interesting people I know around here is Neil Strauss. Now, some of you may have heard of him. You've heard him on this podcast, perhaps, uh, or you've heard of uh, some of his books. You may have read him in the New York Times and Rolling Stone. Uh, He's all over the place. He's on TV a lot. He's got all sorts of things going on. Now, he's one of these people who wrote uh, he's written, I think, eight books, he said. I asked him the other night. I think he's published eight books. I think all of them were New York Times bestsellers. He's a phenomenally successful writer, and and with good reason. He's Nobody tells a story like this guy. He's like, you know, so many people are writers. There are probably more writers who have lived... Certainly, there are more writers who you can read than guitarists that you can hear, right? But think about how few guitarists you recognize just by their style. You know, within a within a 30-second period, you know it's Carlos Santana. You know it's Jimi Hendrix. You might know it's Eric Clapton. Uh, there are just some Stevie Ray Vaughan. There's some guitarists, a handful of guitarists, who you hear their voice and you're like, that, I know that. Know who that is. That's Carlos. No question. Nobody sounds like that. Well, Neil does that with writing. That's so difficult. That's so hard. But within a page, you can be pretty sure whether you're really reading Neil Strauss or not. And uh, that's incredible. So congratulations to him. He deserves all his success. And... Uh, and more than just being a hell of a craftsman, as far as writing goes, uh, he's also a really thoughtful, interesting, subtle guy with, um, when I say thoughtful, I mean it in both senses that he's, he's very kind and generous, but also in the sense that he thinks things through. He thinks about them from 15 different angles. He's thinking of them from above, from below, from the left, from the right. He's, it's all 3d with this guy. And uh, so when we get together, we have a great time. We always have interesting conversations. They're not always all, you know, light and joy. Um, You know, sometimes we clash. We have we have differences and we both have pretty strong personalities. And uh, and sometimes we disagree and sometimes we disagree quite heatedly. Um, And uh, we step on each other's toes a little bit. But there's enough of a or mutual respect and and admiration, I think, that uh, that's not problematic. In fact, I think we both just find it um, interesting and actually kind of liberating to have a friend that you don't really need to worry about getting into a heated disagreement with occasionally. 
So anyhow, that's all a bit of context for what follows here. The other night I was over there for dinner. We were hanging out um, and Neil's wife, Ingrid, who is just so sweet and kind. Uh, every time we're hanging out, she laughs. You know, we were always cracking jokes and stuff. And she says, you guys are so funny. You guys always have these interesting conversations. You should do a podcast together. You guys, you know, this is all I love listening to you guys talk. So anyway, Neil and I decided let's do that. Why not? You know, I'm I'm living nearby now. We, uh, we like to hang out anyway. It gives us an excuse to get together with some regularity and hang out and uh, share the conversations with you. Now, I'm convinced Neil's Neil, as you'll hear, is more. Um, uh, what's the word? Cautious, I think. And he's very one of the things in which we differ is he he likes to be very careful. He everything he puts out, he wants it to be polished and edited and, and thought through and considered from, as I said, from many different angles. Whereas I'm more shoot from the hip, throw it out there, raw, immediate, spontaneous, and there's a, a value in that. So I think one of the exercises that that this series will represent for Neil is getting more comfortable with throwing things out um, raw and uh, without having had a chance to go back through and edit and, and you know, take out the parts where... You know, one of us says, um, too many times or says something we wish we hadn't said or whatever. Um, so these are pretty raw conversations. Um, you know, if uh, I don't edit anything I say, if Neil says something that he really is uncomfortable with, I'll edit that out, of course. But um, pretty much what you're going to get with these is totally raw conversations with Neil, who is... You know, as I said, he's he's one of the most thoughtful, considerate uh, people I know, and that will surprise some of you who know him only from the game, uh, which is a book that a lot of people have heard of, a lot of people have read. Um, it sold millions of copies, um, but far more people have heard of it, and most of the people who have heard of it assume, as I admit I did, that the author is some sort of skeevy. You pick up artist, dude, who's, you know, lying to women and, and, you know, playing head games and so on and so forth. And that's unfortunate because it's one book he wrote. It's a book, as he discusses, I think we talk about it in this episode. I'm not sure. Maybe we talked about it after I turned off the mics. But, um, you know, it's a story of him uh, being insecure around women, finding this community of people who have these techniques he sort of goes in like embedded with them to learn these techniques as a journalist. And he writes about the people and he writes about the techniques. But he also writes about the fact that this is kind of an empty enterprise. Convincing a woman to go to bed with you when you don't know how to really relate to her, when you haven't got your own shit together, um, which means you can't really have a serious relationship. You're not learning. He writes about all that in the book, but people have ignored that. And instead, they see it as this guide to manipulating women's heads. And so they make assumptions about what kind of person he is. All this falls away the minute you actually get to know the guy or even the minute you actually read that book in any depth. And you recognize this guy's got so much going on and he's all about candor and sincerity and authenticity and... Uh, which is, you know, his cross to bear because his public image is in many ways sort of the opposite of who he actually is. So 
one of the things I, I, it's not like I'm going to change anybody's public image with this podcast, but one of the things that I'm happy to be able to do is to show you the real guy that I know, uh, not the guy that uh, a lot of people think they know from, you know, the, the media narrative of Neil Strauss. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm not going to do anything else. No ranting, no raving. We'll probably do one of these uh, once a month or so. And uh, I hope there will be some continuity in them. He and I never run out of things to talk about. We barely even got started uh, in this one, but he had a meeting, a hard stop. So we had to to cut it off after an hour. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope we get to do these uh, every month or so. So thank you for supporting the podcast through patreon.com and my Amazon affiliate link. And thank you for helping me keep it totally commercial and bullshit free for, I don't know, two or three years now. I guess we've been bullshit free. Bullshit free podcasting. All right. Enjoy this conversation with me and Neil Strauss in his beautiful living room in Malibu, California. Ciao. All right, I'm sitting in Neil Strauss's living room on Neil Strauss's sofa with Neil Strauss himself. <laughs> It'd be funny if I wasn't here. That'd be really cool. <laughs> but like, I'm alone. <laughs> I broke into Neil Strauss's house. <laughs> yes. I'm sitting here in the kitchen eating his yogurt. We're uh, doing those surprise podcasts, like that documentary filmmaker who just busted on people holding them, uh, Nick Broomfield. Is that the pedophile guy? Uh, no, he's the guy who... How to uh, catch a predator or something? Uh, no, no, he... Oh, but yeah, it could be like that guy. But I was thinking more like the guy who did the Courtney Love documentary, Court, the Kurt and Courtney documentary, the um, uh, Heidi Fleiss documentary. You haven't uh, seen that? Uh-uh. Oh, man, you got to see it. It's really? Nice. Yeah. Yeah, those, those, those celebrity madam things bum me out. You know that the DC madam? Do you know what happened with her? No. Well, you remember, like, she had that book that had, like, Dick Cheney and, uh, right. you know, what's his name? Eric Vitter, Vitter, David Vitter, the senator still in the Senate from Louisiana. Right. Anyway, so those guys all skated, right? Nothing ever really happened to any of them. He didn't, didn't even leave the Senate. Meanwhile, she went to live in Florida with her mother, was sort of hounded out of D.C., was facing all these legal issues that were going to cost her all this money. And then she hanged herself, air quotes, uh, in in the shed behind her mother's house. Oh my God! Yeah, right. And so you think it's like angry, vindictive people or people who don't want their shit. Well, very powerful people who knew that she knew secrets about them that she was going to reveal in in trial. Right. So yeah. Wow. And so you're saying the celebrity madam thing pisses you off because because the because, they, because they, the they, sex workers get fucked over. Right. And, and the, the and clients the guys, never do. Yeah. 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 Uh, what's who was the, the sex worker who was with uh, Spitzer? Right. She got kind of screwed over too. Although I think she was in Playboy at some point. So she like built a mini. Felt like she had like a mini career. Career. <laughs> mini career. Out of it. Um, I, don't, I mean, Spitzer had to uh, leave office, did he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Well, did he leave or he did he resign? He was governor, right? Right. Yeah. And, and like super anti prostitution. Everyone like yeah. you gotta face it. Like it's just yeah. like a fucking fact. If anybody is really against some type of human behavior, it's probably the thing they either indulge in the most yeah. or are the most afraid of indulging yeah. in. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean it's been demonstrated that homophobes get the most um, sort of errata uh, what's the word? Uh, their their penis gets more blood flow when they see homo homoerotic images 
than uh, other guys who aren't homophobic. Right. So think so, about whatever you fear the most. Right. And that's what that's what you're the most danger becoming. Yeah. Well, Jung said that, right? Like Jung was all about the shadow side, the the things that annoy you or scare you are the things you really need to focus on because that's where the wisdom lies. Yeah, the stuff you repress the most uh, is going to spring up and take over your life if you don't get it integrated. Yeah. So when are when are we as a as a culture going to recognize that? Because every time another one of these like far right Republican Christian fundamentalists gets busted for snorting coke off a gay hooker's ass, I think. Is that it? Is that the straw? We are, I'm firmly convinced we will never fucking recognize anything in the culture. <laughs> and if, and, and recent times are really here to, to prove that. You think right? so? Yeah. Like, oh, I thought, oh wait, I thought we're done making this mistake. Yeah. I thought we're done pointing the finger at other groups of people and right. saying they're the problem. I thought we're done like, uh, you know, uh, you know, I- I- endorsing, uh, this kind of behavior. Like we're f- f- right back there in the worst way. Every, everything we thought was over is back. You know, everything we, thought we, everything we thought was done and over and we were past is, is, is back, whether it's the fucking, you know, Cold War or, or, uh, or uh, you know, we're fighting over a woman's right to choose again, all this stuff. Like, yeah. you know, Ohio's trying to pass that bill, the yeah. six-week bill. Unbelievable. Yeah. Women don't even know they're pregnant at six weeks. Right. Uh, and then uh, in Texas, like, they passed uh, a, uh, aborted fetuses and miscarriages need to be buried. Yeah. I mean, by the hospital. So it's just a way of discouraging. It's a way of like making it expensive for them to do these procedures, not by anybody, but it's... And didn't Mike, wasn't Mike Pence the guy who said that aborted fetuses have to have funeral services? Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, like actual, yeah. you know, with a... This is a whole worldwide thing that people are being attracted toward these kind of authoritarian, anti-Islamic, anti-immigrant, anti-freedom. Uh, Anti-other. Yeah, uh, anti-other, anti-other, other, anti-woman, other yeah. anti-gay, yeah. anti-yeah. And, and all these uh, both uh, forgotten, uh, you know, candidates that were kind of marginalized are now coming back with their, with their <clears throat> you know, to their, to their heyday. And all these new ones are, are appearing in everywhere. You know, Italy, hung, I mean, Hungary, Viktor Orban's already in power. Holland. Uh, yeah. Holland, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the Sweden, so-called Sweden Democrat Party, uh, I think they're called. Um, Martin Le Pen in, in, in Paris. In France, yeah. yeah uh, Spain doesn't seem to have gone right-wing, interestingly. They've, they've sort of gone radical left-wing, although they've proven to be incompetent with the Podemos party. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder, I mean, I wonder, if I, I haven't heard Spain in this discussion. Yeah, well, they were, you know, Franco just died in the 70s, so maybe their memories of extreme right-wing Right. Politics are, are more recent. Right. You've got to at least skip a generation before you make the same mistake again. Yeah. Maybe right. that's what it is. It's a generational thing. So yeah. do you think that there's a generational issue going on? I read somewhere recently that there are more millennials, whatever the fuck that means. I, I mean, this whole generational identity thing confuses Let, me. Like, let's kind of rant on that for one second. Sure. Yeah. Rant, yeah. yeah. First of all, it doesn't have to confuse you because it's totally arbitrary. Bullshit. It's nonsense. Yeah. There's, there's a process of aging, and they, they say this, this. The thing they say about the millennials is like, oh, they're lazy. They're you know, they're self and they're entitled. Same shit they said about slackers, lazy. They're doing nothing. They're ruining our country. The same thing they said about hippies. Yeah. Same thing they said about the lost generation. <laughs> it's just like fucking older people starting to feel disempowered, <laughs> you know, and feeling yeah. threatened That's by younger true. generation that just isn't uh, no longer obedient right. to them, but is starting to have its own thoughts and right. ideas. And right. that they're growing up, little fucking bastards. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but also the whole idea of a generation. It's like, right. who decided that from like, you know, those people born between 1980 and 2000 are a generation as right. opposed to 
you know, 1985 and 2005 or, you know, yeah. whatever. Just pick yeah. 20 years. It doesn't, it, there's no, you know, this chunk and that chunk. Completely shot. arbitrary. It's, this line. Well, you know so what? Weird. Your birthday is three days later. So you're <laughs> yeah. now a lazy millennial instead yeah. of a, you know. Well, I mean, strictly speaking, I'm, I'm at the very end of the baby boom generation. Right. I was born in 62. I wasn't a fucking hippie. Yeah. I, I didn't do any drugs in the 60s, you right. know? I, nothing. I mean, I, I had wore diapers in the fucking right. 60s. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, Generation X, slackers, disengaged, and I was, like, working at the New York Times at, like, yeah. 22. And again, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I had, I had, like, a for a while, I had, like, a guy who was, like, 20 running all my stuff because he was brilliant. Like, it's just totally rant. Yeah. I think that is the same stuff we're talking about with politics. Right. Pointing to a group. And then othering them with this identifying tag right. is, is right. always going to be nonsense. Right. So do you think, are we, where are we in the pendulum spring, swing? Are we, are we reaching, uh, are we going to start swinging? I thought, right. until like a month ago, right. I thought we were swinging toward more social justice in a good sense, right. not the social justice warrior shit, right. but like I thought we were swinging toward... Away from the extremes of the Reagan revolution and all that kind of shit, I thought people were recognizing that that wasn't working. Trickle-down economics, after 30 years, they're finally noticing nothing's trickling down. Right. And I thought we were going... And then it seems like, oh, wait a minute, no, the pendulum's going another way. Like, right. maybe it's not a fucking pendulum. Maybe it's like some sort of 3D thing going on. <laughs> yeah, <know>? exactly, exactly. <laughs> the axis doesn't seem yeah, to work It anymore. just seems like one thing reacts against another and maybe that is the thing. It's like, oh, <clears throat> where we at, we feel uh, you know disenfranchised by this and shamed by the by microaggressions, and so now we're right. just taking it all the way in the other direction. But I think, like, I gotta say that I do feel like Donald Trump has had more of an effect on this country than some presidents of their entire two terms. I just feel like well, in the last <clears throat> before he's even sworn yeah, in, right? We, we you know. You know, the public now just distrust the entire election process, elect, you know, election fairness, yeah. uh, the entire media, like sort of a lot of, uh, um, we've come to question, which again, I can say in a good way, too. It's good to question these things. Hmm. So I'm not, you know, against that, but sort of like there's such this atmosphere of distrust that it's weird because, you know, when I wrote for the New York Times and I was there for 10 years. It's always the New York Times, and that was the most legitimate news source there is. Right now, now it's like the failing liberal, you yeah. know, fake news agenda rag. Right, uh, and it's so it's so weird to see that. It's weird for me as someone who worked there to see that institution of sorts toppled. And again, maybe there's nothing wrong with toppling institutions and questioning them, but it's odd to see. It is strange to see, and and I mean, I would think that sort of started with the you know the way they Judith Miller drummed up the Iraq war stuff and that turned out to be total bullshit yeah. I and mean, that was a real sort of corruption at the heart of that institution I and think. you had Jason uh, Blair was it right. like straight up made up shit right yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but I think I always think and again I always think it's a leap between like in going from their individuals who are doing things to this as a whole you know, institutional, sure. uh, you know, conspiracy. Theory. Although part of the legitimacy of an institution is that they have internal processes to make sure that kind of shit doesn't happen, right? right. I mean, that's why yeah. we trust the New York Times to the right. extent that we do. Which is like having worked for, which is 100% impossible with a daily newspaper, yeah. uh, daily anything, or even now with online news. But the Judith Miller thing, that right. wasn't, Miller, right. I mean, that, right. was, that was institutional. Right. She had editors who looked that stuff over and approved it. Right. You know, that was front page. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Do you know that quote from Arthur Miller? He says, an era can be considered over when its basic illusions have been exhausted. It's great, man. That's right now, man. Isn't that a good one? That's yeah. Really good. And I feel like every 
every, you know, we're talking about institutions, basic illusions of American society, a lot of them are institutions, right? That like right. Wall Street's a good place to park your money. It's a conservative place, you know, you don't need to worry. Right. Uh, politics are basically uh, looking to, you know, help people and make society run better. Whatever, sports, you know, they, they play by the rules. Now it's all doping and, right. you know, Olympics are completely trash. Totally. Baseball. It's like pick pick an American institution right. that hasn't been the church. Right. You know, child rape, that's a pretty tough one. That's a tough one. So here's the question. The question is, we're kind of, we're in the era of transparency. And with total transparency, uh, like I think we're realizing that everything is fucked up and, and imperfect. Like I think all, maybe we're holding things to standards that human beings are not capable of. So we're, because we still, we're so close to the fairy tale era where things, where we believed in things. So do you think, in other, in other words, you're saying like, okay, the reason that let's say the New York Times is being discredited is because it's not living up to what we thought it was, but never really was? Is that? I'll, I'll go, uh, I'm just throwing this out. This is not an idea I've ever yeah, thought of before. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just thinking that we, uh, you know, we need something to believe in. Maybe we're kids and we need to see our parents as perfect for a while. Right. And then we see they're not perfect and we right. rebel and right. think we're better and stronger than them. Right. Uh, and, uh, and then we look at our institutions like this. Oh, the government is going to protect us. They have our best interest in mind. The banks are going to hold our money and, you know, take care of it. The papers are going to report to us the truth. And now with everything that's transparent, we see they're all biased. They're all unstable. And now we got nothing left to stand on. And it's a scary world. And, and yeah. that's, and, uh, and maybe those illusions you know, help keep us with the biggest illusion of all, which is the illusion of safety. Right. Yeah. Although I do think there are objective changes. I mean, in the, in the case of the church, for example, I think you're totally right. It's been going on for a long time. Nobody saw it. So right. what they believed in was false. And same with politics being dirty as fuck. It's always been dirty. <laughs> right. yeah. 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 But something like Wall Street. Right. You know, there wasn't a collapse like 2008. The, the Glass-Steagall Act, you know, since the Depression really did keep things more stable. And so the corruption of Wall Street money going into politics and undermining those reforms, you know, that date back, what, five decades or something. Right. Um, yeah, that is an objective change that has made the world less stable. But did we, and I, and I don't know the finance, I don't know the financial sector at all. Uh, but you know, but like, if you look back, like there were, you know, railroads sending murderers out, like they, like, you oh, know, big, yeah. anything that was around big business and a lot of money was yeah. inherently, uh, right. you know, self-serving and corrupt. That's true. Yeah. You look at the, the, the forming of the unions in the U S in the twenties and thirties. Yeah. They were beating people up. They were killing people. I mean, the fight for a 40-hour work week was bloody and, right. and unbelievable. Yeah. And now people take it for granted. Right. So maybe that's another thing, the generational thing. Like so many of these advances have been so far in history and people don't learn history. So now they don't fight to, to defend them. Yeah, I'm surprised by how little fight there is. I yeah. mean, there are things that have happened in these last, you know, even in the you know Bush administration that I thought there would be like you know revolution in the in the states. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, even even today, I do think I am. I do feel like, uh, and again, uh, you know, I'm just curious what's going to happen as far as civil unrest when, you know, when slash if, but feels like more like a when things like Roe versus Wade are. Uh, you know, repealed. Like there's stuff coming down the line. 
Yeah. It's going to be a, a hardcore uh, agenda that is going to um, lead to a lot of anger, and I'm curious what's going to happen. And then, and then yeah. it, it, will there be will uh, 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 these kind of protest and civil disobedience lead to crackdowns? Are we going to live in? Is this country going to look very different in four years? Yeah, yeah. Or will there be a counter? a countervailing uh, force that'll actually move the country back to the more toward justice. Yeah. <sighs> and what you see know, is justice. Man. I was I was really thinking yeah. like I was really trying to think like I want to always avoid the trap of thinking that I'm right and someone else is wrong because yeah. that's that is that's the problem. That's the problem. But so, aren't, aren't there objective mm-hmm. truths though? I was talking with Wade Davis about okay. this a couple of weeks ago. I want to hear ago. it. Let me tell me. Yeah, well cuz he he was he was saying like He's a cultural relativist. He's an Mm. anthropologist, right? And he's like, it's total bullshit to say any culture is any better than any other. And so he he sort of operates in that, you know, free-flowing, you know, there's no objective good. There's no... But I I said, well, but wait a minute. You're an environmentalist, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you believe in climate change. You believe we got to, you know, make these moves to do this and that. Don't you think sustainability is an objective value? that you can use to, to judge societies or, you know, equality between men and women or, you know, the way we treat old people. Aren't there objective things we can look at? And he sort of dodged the question. But what, what do you think about that? Are there objective truths, even if it's only a handful? Um, should women be equal to men? Right, right. You know, should right. children, you know, do, should parents have the right to, to beat their children bloody if they want to? Right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. Like, they're basic human rights that you have to say are, are, uh, are, 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 black, are, are black and white there. Well, you don't have to. Right. Some people don't. Right. But it's a tough position. Anyway, you were saying you don't yeah, want yeah, to... No, no, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, and I suppose, like, it'd be interesting, and maybe we should do a podcast. Let's, because you and I are good uh, debaters, and you and I can, like, flop, we can go take different sides of arguments and, right. and be kind of occasional. Why like that? Maybe let's do something where we start with some objective truths and you and I dive in and see if they really are. Right. Uh, and see if we can kind of come up with, even with those things like you, like you just said. Right. And then um, we, halfway through, we can switch positions. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then someone can take it out of context and destroy us all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, um, no, I was thinking, I was trying, because I was trying to, I was thinking like, because I've never, uh, you know, I've only recently realized, oh, I must, I'm a liberal, I guess. I didn't realize I was a liberal until I started like, getting name-called as a liberal. Oh, what did you think you were? Uh, oh, I just thought I was a person who thought freely about the world and uh, cared about other people and cared about uh, the planet I'm living on and cared about animals. I just that's cared a about, liberal. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I, didn't realize, I, didn't, I just thought that was just being a human. I thought that was like being spiritual. Uh-huh. I really thought that because being spiritual, being connected and right. seeing everything as equal. Like, I right. really thought that was being spiritual, but yeah. I didn't realize that was you know, being a liberal. So I've recently been called a liberal... Uh, and I guess I realized I am by, by whatever that definition is. Um, and then I sort of was thinking, okay, well, what's the, what are the differences? What are the key differences here? Um, and I thought I'd be curious for your take on this because is that I felt like uh, the opposite point. The, the I guess my belief, or maybe the liberal belief, is that well, I care about you know all people and all cultures and the, the planet and the animals, all the living things, and 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 they all matter, uh, and they're all of importance so and then I was thinking okay I really want to try to understand this idea that you know our neighbors are bad and gonna hurt us <laughs> and uh, um, you know and uh, and people you know people who are disadvantaged in the culture are have to help themselves we're not gonna help them I wanted to try to understand that and so I thought maybe it's just a view of 
it's about the family, it's about the community, and I'm trying to understand that point of view. It's about our community, and it's about our community's survival from these threats, and uh, and that the argument could be made, oh, that's compassionate, we're caring about ourselves, we're caring about our community, we're caring about being strong. It's sort of a, uh, another way of, uh, it's maybe the same emotion, but painted in a different way. I was just trying to be empathic, so I'm curious for your thoughts on the difference between what, so the opposite level would be conservative, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, the way it works breaks down for me, and, and granted, this is an idiosyncratic way of looking at things, but I look at it as a hunter-gatherer versus farmer. Right. You know, because hunter-gatherers, they're egalitarian, mm -hmm. so they're very autonomous. Everyone's got their own direct access to what they need, so there's no coercive power. You try to tell a, a hunter-gatherer what to do, they're like, fuck off. Why, why would I do what you tell me to do? There's no reason. I have access to everything I need directly. The, I know how to build a shelter. I know how to hunt. I know how to fish. I know how to gather. And I'm armed. So, right. you know, I don't care if you're bigger than me. I can put an arrow in your back from 50 yards away, you know. Right. So there's an egalitarian, like, don't, don't tell me what to do. I don't tell you what to do. But we share everything. We take care of each other. The environment's alive, so we care about the environment. There's a gratitude attitude toward the, um, the gods, you know, in the, the natural world. Wow, this is like, it gives us everything we need. This is amazing. And then you go to a, a farming, agricultural perspective. You've got this angry, um, uh, what's the word they use? Uh, jealous God, which is another word, uh, like arbitrary and un unpredictable. Uh, capricious. capricious God, exactly. Uh, who, who loves you but fucks with you and right. punishes you and, uh, you know, is looking, watching everything you do. And if you touch your dick in the morning, he's going to fucking throw you into right. eternal hell and right. shit. Um, you know, you can't trust the natural world because, you know, you've got a, a harvest. And if the harvest doesn't come in, you're going to starve. And then you do harvest and you're lucky. But then you have to defend it. So you have to have an army. You have to. So there's all this hierarchy and, you know, everyone has to do what they're told. And then you've got slavery and property and women are the property of men and children are the property of women and men. It's like, ah, fucks everything up. So to me, the sort of right political wing is much more of an agricultural based way of looking at the world and the so-called left is a hunter-gatherer way of looking at the world and uh it's interesting i like that that's an interesting way of thinking about it but what, my only question though is with the hunter-gatherer isn't it's kind of like well these are hunting grounds of a tribe if or someone else trespasses or you know would, would there be sort of the, that turf battle over where you're hunting well that there's a lot of uh debate about that people like steven pinker uh napoleon shagnon and and others argue that hunter-gatherers experience very high rates of violence, both uh, within the group and also between groups. But when you actually dig into the data that they're using, what you find is that they, at least what I find and, and other people uh, have found, that they're playing games with those numbers. For example, uh, in his latest book, Steven Pinker says, it's like, what's it called? The, the Something about the, uh, the arc of... History, you know what I'm talking about? I thought his last book was about grammar, so. <laughs> oh, well, there was, he had a book about swearing right. recently, but the, the last book on this was about, I forget what it's called. The one about we're living the safest time? Yeah, that one. That okay, one, yeah. yeah. Um, so when you look at his base numbers for hunter gatherers, mm -hmm. he says, you know, like, for example, the, the murder rate among the Kung San of the Kalahari Desert is, is higher than, than the murder rate of Baltimore, right? 
And but then when you actually look at it, there are like 500 Kung San people. Right. So there was a murder like 90 years ago. But when you do that statistically, that makes it a murder rate, you know, per thousand higher than it is in Baltimore, where everyone's worried about getting shot every time they leave their house. Right. So he says, look at that incredible murder rate. By the way, everyone in Baltimore, every time they leave their house. They're terrified. They're terrified. Everyone. I saw the wire. I saw the wire. Come on. (laughs) So, you know, but you see my point. It's like, you know, the the fear of being shot is not an issue, you know, among the sand. No one knows anyone who ever was killed by another sand. And yet... You know, you can play games and say the the murder rate's That's very it, man. high. I have a saying like, if uh, you no matter what you believe, there's always someone with a PhD who is willing to prove it. Sure. Oh, especially if it involves you know money. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting because I'm like a scrupulous uh, fact checker, uh. and so when I write something, I really fact check the facts down to the bone. And what I usually find out is, uh, yeah, a lot of statistics bandied around. Like we're never even. Uh, Sometimes I call the original research, and they'll be like, "I never even said this." Yeah. Especially when it comes to divorce, uh, when it comes to infidelity statistics. Oh, really? Uh, and and uh, a lot, you know, in divorce statistics, a lot of those are banded about. And I'll talk to the researchers, like, "I never said this, and I can't stop this fact from like being circulated." Yeah. It's so convenient, people. Yeah. Uh, and there, there, I mean, there's so many bias. There's so many. There's so many bias in the research, biases in the reporting, yeah. or people taking out a few key things that are key to making that stat work and then it's passed around and right. watered down and it, it's just wild that I've found very few statistics hold up under, you know, yeah. uh, you know, research and also you can, like you said, you can play with it. So if, you know, Trump wants to say it's a dangerous time and someone else wants to say it's a safe time, they can, you know, choose what, choose a statistic that will prove your Exactly, point. exactly. Yeah. Just, you know, and I, that's what I'm working with all the time with the stuff I'm doing, like like uh, human longevity. That's right. the one that kills me, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, you know, the average lifespan is doubled. <sighs> well, that's, well, look, look, just take, remove infant mortality and now tell yeah. me what it is, right? Or add abortion, <laughs> right? you know, right. which is what a lot of infant mortality was. It was oh, unhealthy or unwanted kids who were left to die. Right. So we include that, but we don't include abortion. Like, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. And then, and then, of course, you get, the problem is it's so pernicious that it gets out into the culture, as you were saying, and it spreads like a stain. And then you find professors of fucking anthropology or medicine saying we've doubled the human lifespan. Right. It's like, well, no, we yeah. haven't. That, that's why I love doing firsthand reporting because uh, I'll give you a, a it, it's interesting. So I was just doing uh, with a neuroscientist named Joseph Ledoux at NYU who is the biggest research in the emotional brain. Mm. And there's this kind of common thing. The amygdala is the emotional center. Right. Uh, everyone says it. Everyone teaches it. Scientists, psychologists. He's right. like, and it comes from his work. He says, no, no, no. I never said that. <laughs> Uh, it was just misunderstood. Right. The amygdala isn't, there's no emotions happening in the amygdala. It's just threat processing, which is I see a, a whatever, a crocodile, a bear, uh, and, uh, and I have a physiological reaction. It's threat processing, a threat response. Hmm. Whatever fear is, and most of people what call fear isn't even fear, it's anxiety. Right. Like I'm scared I'm going to lose my that's job. That's a higher I'm scared the terrorist thing. Yeah, that, yeah, that's happening somewhere completely different, I yeah. guess, in the bed nucleus. Uh, yeah. uh, and, uh, and, um, and then what lately makes it come to emotion is obviously happening in the higher cortex, but the amygdala is such an easy explanation. Right. It all happens in the amygdala, guys. Right. It's a little almond-shaped thing in your right. head. First of all, we got two amygdalas, so no one even says that, but that's hard. Oh, it's really? not as convenient. Yeah, because left brain, right brain, right? Oh, right. So, so, so like, but just 
there's, we have an amygdala, and that's where all your emotions take yeah. place. It's such an easier argument than we got yeah. two amygdalas and emotions happen the brain all is, over the place. I think the brain is pr- sort of the prime example of this, right. of this bad science, you know, yeah. because like even the thing like, oh, you know, that's your uh, love center is being activated, right. and th- this is where you're, that thing, is, oh, look, it's firing more here. Right. No, but that doesn't mean anything. Right. You know, it's crazy. Right. Oh, right. when you look at a picture of your wife, your love center is firing. Right. Yeah, oh, come on. I look right. at a picture of anything my love center's firing. Right. Yeah. Everything affects your brain, right. you know? Yeah, I think we're in this like TED Talk culture where yeah. like, oh, back it by science so I can believe it. Right. But don't you dare check the science. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like in the 19th century, people talked about the brain as if it were a steam engine. Right. You know, there were like pistons and, you know, there's the, the, the metaphors that we use for the brain restrict our thinking on what's happening in the brain. Yes. In fact, that's what he was saying. He's like, we're, uh, the metaphors we lose for our emotions and everything are, are a 19th century behavioralist, uh, yeah. uh, you know, way of looking at things. Right. All, it's all wrong. It's funny. I think part of the new book I'm going to write is going to get into that. Stuff. On how the metaphors shape our thinking. Yeah. And limit and limit us, yeah. <laughs> you know, where, where we're way beyond that. So we're limited to thinking of our emotions as these distinct things. I'm feeling anger and now sadness and now fear. Right. Yeah. All those ideas. Yeah. 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 It's weird. I mean, language, we can go back to language too, right? I'm sure you've read that research showing how if you have a word for a color, it's easier for you to pick it out of a spectrum. Right. Whereas if there's no word, you don't see it. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Like I, uh, as I have, I have a 22 month old child and, and I'm, and I'm, trying to teach him and I realized I, I almost don't want to te- like focus too much on teaching him language. It's so important to teach him words, uh, but I feel like, uh, I don't know if they're learning or unlearning, you know, for example, yeah. uh, he, uh, he might, uh, the word, I, I, like cookie monster on Sesame street. Then there's a cookie. Then there's, uh, um, a, uh, like a, his cookie monster doll. And there's a couple other things. So cookie can mean any of these five things. And he says, and he's not like, oh, wait, why does cookie mean these? He doesn't question it. Just a word, it doesn't have to be always one-to-one symbolic uh, meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, you know, and I'm trying not to limit his thoughts through through, yeah. through language. It's cool, to, but uh, does naming it help you identify that color? Or does it limit your appreciation of the spectrum yeah. of colors? Yeah. Fuck, that's, that's sort of the essential question, isn't it? Yeah. I was talking to someone recently uh, about... This you, you, you reminded me when you said like you don't know whether he's learning or unlearning. I I remember when I was like twelve, thirteen, somewhere around there, that I became I was very aware that I I knew something that I was forgetting, and that I was forgetting it as the linguistic mental habits took over my brain. So that I, in other words, I was aware that I was now thinking in words. Right. Whereas before I hadn't really thought in words. Right. And I was starting to see myself more in, as a verbal being. And as, I, as my thoughts became verbal, there was an awareness that I was losing. And I yeah. knew that this was a process that was going to continue. And I was going to lose that awareness completely. Right. And so I sort of planted a flag and said, you won't remember what it was, but remember that it was there. Wow. That's cool, man. Because it really is like the origin, because you're such a free, independent thinker. It's almost like that, that was taking place that early. 
Yeah, maybe. I hadn't thought of it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, even, yeah, because you're like, oh, I'm going to, uh, I don't, I don't want to be constrained by the box, by this box. I, I can see where I was going and I knew I couldn't stop. And the, and the awareness was the thing that I wanted to remember having remembered was that before I was born, I was in a really good place. Right. And I, and there's nothing to fear. Right. And I knew that as I got older, I'd start to worry about what comes next and that somewhere, you know, over the bridge on the process of going from that side to the next side, I was going to forget where I came from. And then it was going to make me really anxious about where I was going. And so, like, don't forget that it actually was OK. And like and then the first time I took hallucinogens, I was like, oh, oh I'm back here again. Right. Ah, now I remember. I, I remember what it was that I was trying not to forget. Right. You know? oh, no way. Amazing. It just brought you back. That's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's so it's so it's so it's so interesting. And uh, yeah, there's a dog that's about to knock over coffee on our recording equipment. <laughs> uh, we just rescued a dog because we're liberals. <laughs> yeah, just, so, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so how did you not know you were a liberal after working at Rolling Stone and the New York Times, like two funny? bastions of liberalism? Well, you know what? Because I think because I, I, I lived in a really insular world uh, and also I was open to other people's perspectives like when I was doing the book Emergency and I was hanging out with like oh, yeah. you know, hardcore right wing people I just thought oh it's, that's, their perspective is interesting I didn't really define myself uh, define myself that way um, hey Ingrid you can come out that's my wife my liberal wife it is a liberal dog. It's got a ribbon in its hair. That, that's not an aggressive dog <laughs> yes um, um so you recently realized you're a liberal. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Is that the thread we're on? We, yeah, I mean, it's probably, it's, that thread goes absolutely nowhere. Yeah, yeah. But, it, so, so no, but the thread ties into everything because because naming it is kind of limiting it because who knows I don't know if I subscribe to every book or not so it's exactly like, right that, that is, that's it so that word maybe I'm uh, slightly uh, dwelling on it because I'm like oh that was that all of a sudden I felt like limited I got got put in a cage. So do you okay now here's an interesting thing that happens with liberals uh, have you become less liberal as you've had more money? Um, no. Because it's easy to be liberal when you're poor. Like, yeah, well, everyone should share. Right. And then when you, like, get your, you know, get some money put away, then suddenly it's like, oh, really? Everyone's going to share? No, no, I've noticed that it's all of a sudden people are like about taxes. No, no, no way. I probably become more, yeah. more uh, empathic. And Did more you see that Dave caring. Chappelle thing? Oh, I know. Oh, that's right. That's that was so great. Like, I just got mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, I've noticed it. Not, not that, you know, my financial situation is so great, but, you know, I went from like, you know, no, absolute hand to mouth right. to like, yeah, I got some money in the bank, set up a company. And then suddenly it's like, oh, maybe I should set up the company over there. There's no tax, you know, there's, oh, and there are tax benefits to this. And then right. if I charge this to the company or then suddenly like you're thinking about, you know, angles all the time. Right. right. But I mean, but yeah. Uh, but that, but that doesn't make you less. I mean, I think you're just thinking, OK, I, I got some money and I'd like to protect it and be able to use it, but you're not like, yeah. oh, I'm pissed off that my tax dollars are going to help human beings. No, but you do try to avoid taxes. I mean, that's that's what everyone does. The more money they get, then you start hiring accountants and lawyers and, you know, uh, which is about avoiding taxes, essentially. I, mean, I have a friend who's very wealthy. We were arguing about this recently, and he said, look, Chris, money's a coward. Money doesn't go where it's not wanted. So 
if the tax rates are higher in California, I'm I'm taking my money elsewhere. You know, right. it's just that's the way money is. It flows away from restrictions. It flows away from you know people reaching into your pocket. It's just the way it's going to be. We we're talking about Bernie Sanders. You right. Know I, I guess you know it's funny when I did that book, Emergency, and I learned like how to survive off the grid and how to deal with the system if it collapses. The most freeing thing I did, and maybe this uh, is learning to go out in the woods with just nothing but the clothes on my back and a knife and survive. And once you can do that, you're like, okay, what, what do I have to lose? Right. Even you look at the Great Depression, I, I think, you know, and again, these are just the statistics I'm using because they proved my case. Doesn't mean it's true, you know, yeah. you know, but there was very little deaths because of the poverty yeah. From from what I understand, like you know, and again, it, it brought communities together, made people stronger, made them learn how to yeah. you know, be be resourceful. I think uh, so. So <laughs> may, I might argue that it's fear. In fact, I won't argue. I'll, I'll point to some very good data <laughs> that again proves the point. But but uh, but uh, but uh, it, the the, pro- the problem is fear, uh, and they really did a lot of studies that there's a rightward shift uh, when people are uh, you know in 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 fear. So they did a study. This guy John Jost at NYU. <laughs> did a study that after 9-11, uh, the survivors, family members of victims, and uh, you know, eyewitness to this, uh, shifted more right toward more you know, uh, militaristic policies, more uh, crackdowns of civil liberties, uh, you know, more uh, authoritarian leaders. Right. And here's this fascinating corollary to it. They shifted right and did not become any happier. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think fear, and again, this last election was a lot about fear. I wrote a big piece on it for Rolling Stone. Uh, but fear, I mean, makes it, it impels us to make bad decisions. And I think, I don't know if you'll agree, but the neuroscientists I talk to said that our brain really, our brains are not designed to make us happy. Mm. They're designed to look for, you know, threats to our survival and keep us alive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree with that. Although I think it's interesting that we live in a, in a society that uh, amplifies fear. Oh, right. man, that, it does. That, that creates this this all permeating sense of of fear that, and America is the worst. I mean, yeah. Americans think they're so fucking courageous and you know pounding their chest, but you travel around the world, you see the level of fear in America is just off the fucking scales. And a lot of it's legit because there are no social welfare programs to help you. There's no safety net. Right. So yeah, if you get sick, you're fucked. You know, in a lot of cases, if you can't afford crazy insurance rates and all that. So there are reasons to be afraid. But, uh, you know, this, uh, the terrorists are coming to get us, the communists, the Russians. I, mean, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the Russians were coming to get us. Everyone's coming to get us and nobody ever gets here. Right. And it's like, what the fuck, people? It's right. all to manipulate you. It's right. all to get you to buy shit and or, vote or for... agree to crackdowns under civil liberties. Exactly, it's keeping you safe. Exactly, In, invent a fear, get everybody scared, push your. It's a protection it. racket, yeah. is what it is. It's it's fascinating because uh, you know <laughs> I'm going back to statistics again after I've just disproven, but but these I feel pretty solid on, which is like if you. I really took a look at, okay, what are we scared of and what are the biggest threats, right? And uh, uh, I know I'm, I'm going to get this, 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 these, the numbers are wrong, but the general sense behind them is right. I can, I can you know, give you that, the, the right numbers or that they're in the Rolling Stone article. But like, it's something like, um, they're, man, I'm totally getting this wrong, but they're more like murders, more suicides a year in America than murders a year, like almost double the amount, yeah. uh, you know. How do people die? We're not dying. There is such a small amount of Americans dying from terrorists compared to who's dying from lung cancer, from smoking, who's dying from obesity, from their eating habits, uh, who's dying from 
not wearing a seatbelt in the car in a car accident uh, or from distract your own distracted driving while you're driving and uh, you know and the biggest threat to guns is not someone killing you but you killing yourself with right. it. so like but nobody is running on this platform but the biggest thing you have to be afraid of is yourself and right. also like fucking now I talked to so many and it's tragic so many survivors of uh, you know uh, you know, sexual abuse and, and other types of abuse. And mm-hmm. someone you know is not the fucking somebody stranger. You know. It's yeah. the, the relative, the parent, the coach. It's somebody right. you fucking know. And like, we're so scared of the other. Right. And the biggest threats to our existence are ourselves and the people closest to us. Right, right. Yeah, and then another statistical thing is like, you know, people say, well, you're much more likely to kill yourself or, or someone you know with a gun than, than, you know, defend your home from a stranger or whatever, right? Which I'm sure is true. Statistically, it's true. But there's another thing, another angle on this we haven't talked about, which is, like, that all these things are, are, are based on averages. And, and the, the nor- you sort of a, a take a normal person. Right. That person is more likely to kill themselves or their wife, you know. But, like, if you're... I think I'm a lot more together than the average person. Right. So I should be able to drive faster. I should be able to drive. <laughs> I mean, I've said this before. I, I, mean, I, I haven't heard this. I want to hear this argument. <laughs> well, all right, I'll leave out some examples because okay. I got in a lot of trouble one time. But I mean, like, I, I don't, I've never had a fight with, with someone where I was like throwing plates or, or pulled a knife or something, right. you know? So I don't think I'm someone, if I had a pistol in my house, that I would pull it out in an argument mm-hmm. with a with my wife or a friend, you know? So I don't think, so in other words, what I'm saying is there's the statistical truths or, but then do they apply to you? You know, like, are you, if you're a significantly better driver, if you can prove it, like you haven't had an accident in 20 years, you can take a driving test and and you're, yeah, your driving ability is way better than most people. I think you should get a stamp on your license that says this guy gets to go, you know, 10% faster than the speed limit. But the problem with that is that you're still dealing with all the other idiots on the road. Yeah. Right? Sure. So, like, you can go faster, but there's that guy who's not paying attention. is coming and, like, gotten right. onto the exit ramp and entered <laughs> the exit ramp and hits you head yeah, on. You know, or the person having drink. But I see that for, uh, you know, I see that for other points. And it's true. I'm thinking more as far as the political argument, what should we, what should we be getting people all ramped up and concerned about? Yeah. And are you throwing all the money to terrorism? Are you, are you putting it toward, like dealing with smoking, obesity, car X, car safety, you know, automobile right. safety. Right. But true, like everything is the average, nothing is normal. Right. You can't, and I, and I totally think like defining your life by statistics, and you might, I don't know how you feel about it, but defining, defining your, what you're gonna do by statistics or by what you're evolutionarily supposed to do is a great way not to live your, you know, an authentic, yeah. true, free life. Well, people get all confused, and, and I've been accused of this, of confusing, you know, evolutionary trajectories with optimal you know, the way we should live. And I think that I get into this a lot in in this latest book with like the naturalistic fallacy, it's called. So I write about the naturalistic fallacy fallacy. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's true that just because you're evolved in a certain way doesn't mean you necessarily have to live that way. But but there is a trajectory there there is your body is designed for a certain kind of diet for example right it doesn't mean we all have to run around eating the paleo diet but it does mean that if you know if your diet is wildly out of alignment with the the diet from the environments in which we evolved you will suffer health consequences and and so but and a couple 
I, so I'm going to write about the naturalistic fallacy, fallacy, fallacy. Oh, good. <laughs> which is that, which is that, that all that may be true, but maybe the way I was evolved in the culture that I came uh-huh. from is different than, than That's yours. That's true. Right? Inuits and, and right. Amazon natives are totally different diets. Right. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And I think like I, you know, I started doing this podcast in a sauna, which I told you about the, the Truth Girl right. podcast. We've been bringing in the people, the person I'm doing with Gabby Reese is super health conscious. So we've had a lot of, you know, doctors and mm. health advocates come in there. And I think the thing that I've noticed, and maybe this is where things are heading, is everything's highly individualistic. So saying this is the right diet for you, this is how you were evolutionally evolved to, to be, uh, this is the shot schedule that your kid should be on. Like, mm. you know, what, well, what, what is your background? What is your genetic makeup? What is this? And then finding out uh, you know, within those, what's right for you versus right. the one size fits all argument. Right. Yeah. And also, I mean, it even goes beyond DNA into the microbiome. Like what's in right. your gut? What, what yeah. kind of bacteria do you have? Yeah. You know about the fecal transplant stuff? Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think I've ever had antibiotics. So like my, I think my feces. You've is never had antibiotics? No. My feces is like fucking gold. You want to sell me some shit? <laughs> yeah. You got some good shit, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you totally should be saving that. I'm backing it up in the back room, <laughs> You're backing actually. it up. In the safe. You got some, <laughs> some uh, illegal immigrants back there working in your shit shop? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish the You've never had this. antibiotics? That's why I'm not wor- worried about my finances because I can just sell my shit if we're good. Wow, no. Yeah, dude. no. Yeah. Yeah, as far as I know, I'll, I'll check. That's great. Yeah. Well, there's something your parents did, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, they gave me a good immune system. And, yeah. <laughs> Do you get sick? Uh, not, I'm like going to say, not, I feel like I'm going to jinx myself, but not going to, very, very rarely. Yeah. Yeah, very rarely. Yeah. It's, and, our, and it's, yeah, it's funny, like our son just like, he, I mean, there's people sick around him. He doesn't get very sick. But I think it's because we let him like just eat everything off the floor and don't yeah. give a shit. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Hygiene hypothesis. The hygiene hypothesis is... Is that you need to be around dirt to yeah. so your immune system learns to protect you. Yeah. And, if, and, and one of the reasons we have so many autoimmune disorders is that people have sterilized the environment to the point where the immune system has nothing to fight against, so it turns right. against itself. I've never seen a germaphobe who is healthier than a non-germaphobe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's these crazy compulsions we have as, yeah. as people. Okay, so where I would go with that and I, I have some fantasy about writing a, a self-help book, a health, uh-huh. but sort of an, the anti-self-help book. Right. Because I think that the number one cause of, of mental and physical uh, disease, dis-ease, you know, is anxiety. Yeah. And so anything you're doing to help your health that increases your anxiety around your health is actually counterproductive. Interesting. Give me an example. When I was traveling, you know, in, in Asia, people who were really uptight about making sure that they washed their food with boiled water and they never ate anything that was right. contaminated, they were always sick. Right. And, and I, people yeah. were like, yeah, whatever, you're going to get the runs, just deal with it. Right. Or, or what about the people they who were, were like, fine. oh, cool, I'm going to go wash my food and have no anxiety about it? Because there's some people who do it. Uh, as a form of like kind of control, it's all about control. And other people would just do it as, hey, it's, I've seen people who live a healthy lifestyle without having anxiety about it. So, so yeah, if it's if it's easy, right? Um, like you have a garden, you go out and you pick it, and you're you're in the sun, and you're. Right. But if it's like you know, oh my God, that's not organic. I can't eat that. And, right. uh, you know that kind of typical American Californian yeah. vibe. And easy is just a thought. 
in this case. Like in other words, yeah. it's gonna be hard, but it's resistance. Do I have resistance about doing this? Do yeah. I have like anxiety about it versus yeah. like, oh, I'm gonna just wait till I got our organic stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna, I yeah. packed my own lunch today and made my own lunch. Exactly. It's easier because I don't have to figure out where I'm eating all the time. And we need to have physiological readings to see if your anxiety actually increases or not. Because it can it can be outside your awareness. Yep, that's what that's what Joseph Ledoux says. It's like you can. Uh, that's how that's how you know it's not that you can. Yeah, you can experience all them all these uh, physiological indications without knowing you have. Yeah, I have a friend who's a heart surgeon, and uh, he and I used to talk about this all the time. He claimed that when he was doing surgery, he experienced no anxiety at mm-hmm. all, and I claimed you have to. There's no way you can cut a human being's body open and be messing with his heart in a way that you know if you fuck up, if you move two millimeters in the wrong direction, you're going to kill this dude. There's no way you're not experiencing anxiety. You've convinced yourself you're not in order to maintain your focus, but I maintain that you you have to be. You must be. I don't know. I I mean, it was just an argumentative uh, perspective. You know, I don't really know whether I'm right or wrong, but... Uh, I guess we'd have to hook him up to blood pressure machines and heart rate monitor and all that. Or, or uh, and I'm going back to that, just the new emotional argument, he really says emotions is, is a cognitive label we put on a certain set of physiological right. uh, you know, indicators or, or environmental circumstances. Right. So it could be that he didn't experience anxiety because he didn't label that as such, oh. but his body was having a sort of stress uh, you know, reaction. Right. Uh, but what was good is he didn't label as an anxiety and didn't, that, that didn't throw off his surgery. So there's maybe a, a separation between the physiological indicators and the label of, you know, the emotional aspect. Right. But if you have the physiological state, you're going to have the health consequences, right? I mean, you've got the cortisol, you've got the increased blood pressure, you know, the chronic right. stress state will have those deleterious effects on your, yep, good point. your system. Good point. Yeah, you're going to have them anyway. But so at least it doesn't matter what right, you call right. it. So the awareness might help it so you can actually then start start figuring out how to uh, you know slow those body responses down. Yeah. yeah. it makes sense. Although, I don't know. I mean, if you, you got... What, who was I listening to? I was watching something or talking to someone, and they said they did... Oh, it was a guy who, who I was talking to the other day who said he went um, skydiving. And uh, I said, what was that like? He said, it was kind of a disappointment, really. I said, why? He said, well, it wasn't nearly as exciting as I thought it would be. In fact, when I was uh, on the plane going up, I checked my pulse because I wasn't feeling excited. And it was 60 beats a minute, which is my my resting rate. And he's like, I, you know, I, I wasn't that excited by it. It was just kind of a, yeah, whatever. Right. And I thought, what a weird thing, you know? <laughs> um, so and, what do you think of that? Do you think it's possible to jump out of a fucking airplane and not feel stress? Sure. I mean, sure, because everything's kind of thought related. But it makes, made me realize that, you know, maybe that physiological symptoms of stress could be the same as excitement. I mean, that it right. could be the same or really similar. But to, he wasn't excited. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I, I'm going back to the previous point. Oh, I'm okay. rethinking that, then we'll get to this, All which right. is I was just thinking, okay, because you, you were saying, oh, if you're having those symptoms, then that can be hurting you. But then excitement might be the same symptoms, and maybe it's the thought. Maybe either A, excitement then is just as bad as stress, and we should just live a sedentary, you know, um, or B, you know, I'm he sure. died from excitement. Right, I'm sure jogging, you know, <laughs> right, elevates your heart rate, you know, yeah. you're perspiring. Or sex, right, right which we sex. never think of as stressful. Yeah. So, so, you know, is, is it the thought, what is it that makes stress 
stressing your system versus you know exercise excitement is it, is it the thought we ascribe to it or you know what what is it that makes that exercise healthy? i guess you've got a whole bunch of different hormones and chemicals that are released so right. so they would have you know sort of a syncretic effect right which is harder well, to measure so maybe maybe yeah. the surgeon's just excited to do surgery which <laughs> <laughs> must maybe be exciting be. and also you get into the state of flow right right which is sort of non-stressful because it's low heart rate low right. blood but you're hyper focused right and most people consider that to be deeply relaxing. Right. So, so back to your apathet- apathetic friend who, who, uh, who feels, who feels, nothing, feels nothing and is looking for bigger highs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I think, yeah, I think it's totally possible. Like, you, you know, you just go up and it's anticlimactic. It's like that uh, Peggy Lee song, Is That All There Is? Yeah. You know, is that all there is to skydiving? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it's, uh, I don't know if everyone has to hear the Peggy Lee version of Is, if, if, is That All There Is? Yeah, it's that's, the a, that's a good tune. Yeah. So should we talk about what we're doing oh, yeah, here? We're doing. We just, we just we dove doing? in. I yeah. think this is. A, How much time do we have? Oh, uh, three minutes. But I can always text my uh, my my noon thing until I'll be a little late. It's up to you. I can pause this too if you want. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about what we're doing. All right. What are we doing? Uh, so what happened was Chris was over at my house the other day, and uh, I was just talking about. I don't even know what we're talking about, but we we were just having a great discussion like we always do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we were sort of like having a debate about. Uh, Chris's book, and it kind of spiraled into 18 other debates. And you called me a prima donna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, Chris, I pressed Chris's button. Chris pressed my button. Which didn't happen today. Right, yeah, so far. Yeah, compared to like the actress who walks off the uh, set of the, you know, of the of the movie because they gave her Camille Teal instead of Earl Grey. Yeah. And then the next actress who takes her place wins the Academy Award. Uh, I should I should have <laughs> got up and walked out when you said that. That yeah. would have really that that would have been awesome. meta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then later I got upset because I, I felt like I, Chris was excuse me being mean to guests on my podcast and I felt hurt by that. So so but it was a great but we always get in these great wily debates yeah. and uh, and so what happened from there? Uh, oh, then, well, also, your lovely wife, who's sitting across the room, uh, she, she always seems to get amused by our conversation. So I was thinking later, like, because I'm always trying to convince you to do podcasts. Right. We did the one on your golf cart, which you won't let me release. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you're, and, and my contention is you're kind of a control uh, freak about, like, maintaining your public image. Wait, I have this nice white, nice whitewash version, and now you're, well, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. Yes, this, this version is true, too. They're both true. Go yeah, ahead. I mean, I think you're, you're, well, I don't know. This, no, no, this is true. This is totally true. You, that you're very um, reluctant to like let things out into the public that aren't very crafted. carefully crafted and refined. Right. And my impulse is the opposite. My impulse is more like, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like you're like Chopin and I'm, you know, some blues guitarist who just like first take goes out, you know. Right. Um, so and, and there's value to both of those. Things. Right. Are you like Dylan? I'm like Leonard Cohen. Oh, okay. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So. But both, both, but, but the point being. But both are, are right. both have their I'm value. Yeah, right. for sure. You know, I was thinking about something on the drive over here today that's interesting about you. And it's something I really like about you, actually, which now I'm shooting myself in the foot. You're one of the only, of the people I know in LA who are like in the, the industry or whatever, like, you know, have busy lives and all that right. kind of shit. You're one of the only people that. I hang out with where there are no microphones. Right. 
like a lot of my friendships, like, you know, Duncan, Rogan, like especially right. with comics, like they're, I consider them friends, but right. 90% of the conversations we've had have been in front of microphones. So interesting. Yeah. Because they're, it, it, we're all busy, right? So right. it's like, well, hey, we're going to get together, hang out. Let's record it. Well, it's a podcast. Yeah, why not? Kill right. two birds with one stone. The productivity trap. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also it's like, you know, what, the podcast is just what we would talk about anyway. Right. But it's like, shit, if we don't capture this, it didn't happen or something or it wasn't meaningful. Well, it's wasted in a sense. So basically, yeah. you've come in, and now our life is going to become that. <laughs> and on the way over, you basically I was ruined thinking, it. You ruined I, the one I, thing you liked about me. I really like <laughs> yeah. that. No, that you, that you like. We come, I come over, and we just hang out. Yeah. You know, or like yeah. you turned me onto Rick and Morty one day. Yeah. You know, and, that, and they were doing virtual reality last time. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Walking the walking the virtual plane. Exactly. So uh, yeah, so we were thinking like maybe we'll make this like a recurring thing since I'm in in town and yeah. we're neighbors. Roughly. Right. So the point is, I'm going to get over my preciousness because as a writer, you, I really craft my statements before. So I'm not, right. I wasn't built for like this air, the air, the social media podcasting era. Like I was like, it was just important to be to craft something and then bring out the perfect, uh, uh, you know, embodiment of your idea right. uh, versus the sloppiness that right. this podcast is. And uh, so, uh, so it'll help me become less precious. You know, what's ironic though, is like you've, you, you have this sense of control over what goes out under your name and all that. Now, I don't know if you agree with this, but my feeling is that uh, you are very different from what people think you are. Totally. So it's kind of ironic, isn't it? That you're trying to control it, and yet what's out there... Totally out of your control. Yeah. Yeah. Like, everyone thinks, oh, the game. The guy, the game. Like, the sleazy pickup artist, dude. Right. And you're so far from that guy. Right. Yeah. And there's so much that went on in your life before that, and after that, and even during that. Right. And that's the third thing is the media narrative. You need the heroes and the villains and the... Uh, You know, that's the third element, which is the media narrative. And I I don't mind that because I actually know it's out of my control. But what is in my control is what I say and what I write. You know, so I don't mind being misinterpreted as long as you go back to the original source and be like, oh, that's what he's originally saying. Right. Oh, the game isn't an advocacy of this lifestyle. It's just, you know, a sort of journey and a, and a, and a sort of the good and the bad and these people aren't being celebrated as heroes is the end of it is like get out of it don't you know right, <laughs> right. like, and then the follow-up book is even more right, explicit right. so, so i don't mind as long as it's it's uh it's still so it's not about controlling of others it's about that self-control yeah but that gets back to like the scientist you were talking about who said yeah i never said the amygdala is, <laughs> right, you know right but that's what goes out, and he's being quoted as saying that, right? right or, right. you know, someone, doctor, or whatever right. from NYU. And, uh, yeah, so I, what I like about the podcast is that because it's spontaneous and raw, I think it's more, it's more authentic, right? Even than what you or I would control, right? You know what I mean? I mean, there is art, there's, there's beauty to art, and there's beauty to refining and, you know, like your intelligence appears not only in the words that are there, but the words you took out and the structure right. and all that. But I also think there's something really uh, just sort of beautiful and, and naked about just having a conversation and then push a button and let it go. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope we do this. All right. You got. OK. Your so, and, all, and also, I think the other reason you wanted to besides just helping me uh, let go. Um, and again, you're such a good, a, uh, and you're so, such good at, so good at, uh, um, this witty, fast paced, thoughtful 
discussions, which is such a pleasure, is just to have more of those discussions yeah. and, uh, and see where they go and play off each other. And, yeah. and hopefully that relationship and what we have to offer or say is enjoyable to people listening. So let us, let, let us know if we should just you know, <laughs> pack it in right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're bored. We're bored. No, no. People, at least people on my, that listen to my podcast are, are great. I, I told you the other night, like I've met, by this point I've met hundreds of them and they're always cool. Yeah, and it's funny, I know a lot of authors such as yourself, uh, you know, Tim Ferriss, a lot of other people who started doing podcasts and the podcasts and that relationship has become more important, if it's fair to say, than the the writing and the relationship with that audience. Certainly more pleasurable right. for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and part of it is because I, I'm a hunter-gatherer, right? I'm not a farmer. I don't like right. working in the field and right. waiting a year for the harvest. I like right. go out, find it, eat it. So, but so, so, so maybe this is a hole in your theory because I'm a liberal, but I like to plant, you know, craft, you know, grow the seed of the book, you know, and, and then let it, uh, let it, uh, um, you know, and then harvest it and yeah. feed people with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a little bit of both going Good. on. All right, man. To All be right. continued. Thank, Thank you for you. coming over, Chris. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast a buck a month, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more, or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. The other way you can support the podcast is if you buy shit through amazon.com or you know someone who does. Please direct them through the link on my page, chrisryanphd.com. You click on that baby once, bookmark the landing page on Amazon, and then 8 to 10% of whatever you spend will come to support the podcast at no extra cost to you or your loved ones. Thank you to Basin and Range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast. Very funky little tune there uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, thanks to Shore Design T-shirts. Our garage is full of them. My mom has them all organized as only she can. Julie, thank you to Julie, my mom. She'll send those T-shirts out to you if you order them. Everything we've got in stock is from Shore Design T-shirts in Thailand. And you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at Carsey Blanton. C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm. And it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can, because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say 
Dance into the ground. 